Hey guys, welcome back to VS Energy's BMS podcast with Mark Sankey, Rich Fish, and myself, Clayton Ferry. In today's podcast, we will be discussing BMS systems and high-level integrations. So what do we mean when we say BMS and high-level integrations? Essentially, a data connection between two or more independent systems to exchange data, coordinate decision rules, and amplify the control operations to include additional data received from multiple sources to affect increased functionality of one or more systems. So obviously that's a pretty extensive definition that we'll elaborate on. And, and with that being said, how do these BMS systems play a large role in high-level integrations? There's, we could go into different types of examples of what systems can be integrated and how we utilize the BMS system to allow this to happen. So Mark or Rich, I'll let you guys start with maybe what, what different types of systems, high level systems can be integrated. Uh, there's quite a number of different systems these days, obviously with the, the as we talked in earlier podcasts with the, the whole internet of things and the communications capabilities of so many building systems. Now uh, building management systems, when we talk about BMS is really kind of a broad topic because we're not talking just about HVAC anymore. We're talking about all these other disparate systems that make up the building automation. That can be a fire life safety system. It can be emergency wayfinding. It can be a lighting system. When you get into specific vertical markets like healthcare or research, it can be patient tracking or asset tracking systems, nurse call, precision airflow control systems in laboratories and research spaces, as well as operating rooms and other clean spaces, uh, even getting into clean manufacturing Mark, uh, you know, there are probably a, a myriad of different types of systems that you've integrated in your career as well. Oh, absolutely. And, and even going further, Rich, you know, now we're at the uh, forefront of life safety issues, integrating cameras, door lock systems, gunshot detection systems, all those things to help really be at the uh, forefront of asset and life protection, integrating using BMS or any variety of systems. It doesn't even necessarily have to have a BMS as a, a backbone or platform. It can just be a simple integration of multiple systems, not even using a BMS. But that integration, again, is to leverage the amount of amount of information make better decisions on a more timely basis to help people be safer or find their way to safety or lock down a building to keep them safer, et cetera. And especially, you know, going back to what we've done at VS Energy, many, many industrial control systems integrating MIS systems with BMS for statistical process analysis, correlating environmental conditions, chilled water temperatures, hot water temperature, steam pressures to production of specific components that are dependent on the stability of the environment or stability of supplied 
utilities such as steam or hot water, chilled water, or glycol. We, we did a very large marking project with a customer that laser marks their components, providing it propylene glycol solution at a very low temperature to cool the lasers to be able to serial number every single device for asset tracking, warranty, et cetera, before they were shipped to the customer. So once, once data becomes available, it can travel to many, many other systems within a, a manufacturing plant or a healthcare facility, et cetera. A point that uh, I want to make by asking a question and then answering the question, uh, beyond the interchange of data, between systems to make them function at a higher level, what's another reason for wanting to integrate these systems onto a single pane of glass? Single pane of glass approach allows the people operating these systems to have essentially one interface that they're monitoring these systems through. Now, aside from, you know, a security office in a building that's going to have some means of interface into the fire life safety as well as the security systems, the building operators can function a lot better without having to have four or five different systems that they've got to log into and remember how to navigate. So it improves their ability to be efficient in their function and be able to get to the information they want without having to use multiple user interfaces. Yeah, that, that makes sense, Rich. And, you know, going back to what Mark was saying, it, it sounds like he broke it down into to kind of two different points where utilizing the BMS to gather more information, be it from uh, a camera or uh, access control to improve occupant safety, and then also utilizing BMS to gather information to improve a process or improve temperature control or, you know, the stability of the system per se. So it's interesting how you can utilize it really on, on two different ends of the spectrum to make, to help, you know, make people safer or to utilize information that you may not necessarily have ever thought to be able to use to improve a process or to improve the temperature control in a facility. And approve the access to that information as well. Yeah, that's true. Very true. So when we talk about utilizing the BMS system, how like what aspect of it is used are we using the network to like bring it in on the you know tcp ip network to get all of that there and then using a you know the the controller per se to to gather that data and maybe translate it so everything can talk on the same pane of glass it's it's going to vary i mean obviously when you want to integrate a number of high level systems you're typically going to be doing that on an IP network. The, the protocol conversion may take place through a piece of hardware or it may take place you know, at the actual software server. So there are a couple of different ways that that protocol conversion can happen. One of the things that has really progressed in our industry is the number of systems that speak a common open protocol like BACnet or Modbus, which makes it that much easier to integrate without having to use hardware gateways. Hardware gateways 
still need to be used for, you know, some very proprietary protocols or non-standard protocols. But if you can avoid the hardware gateway, that's avoiding one more piece of equipment that could be a single point of failure. Being able to utilize Modbus TCP or BACnet IP or some of the other common protocols that are open and available makes it that much easier to integrate into the IP network and allow those systems really to communicate pretty seamlessly like peers instead of being dependent upon some other piece of equipment to route that information. Now, when when you want to, say, bring in uh, um, a disparate system to communicate with your BMS network, does this typically occur, let's say, when we're doing a, you know, like in the previous episodes we've talked about, just like upgrading the building management system? Or do you find yourself going to customers or customers asking you and saying, hey, we have this really advanced building management system and we have, I don't know, you know, any of the list of name of system that we talked about earlier in this episode, we want it to talk. Like, where does that, where does that thought of integration come into? Is it typically in a, when we're upgrading the BMS network, we're saying, we're going to put this in and we should also bring all this information in? Or do you find it, this is already in place, let's just, you know, for lack of a, I don't know, a better term or an analogy, bring out the patch cable and connect system A to system B? It's a probably a good mix of several different ways, Clayton. One way is in, you know, in the construction of a new facility, if these, you know, the facility is being specified as a technology section of the spec, like what we would call division 25 these days, or you know, I think sometimes it's division 27, but uh, that specification, you know, basically lays out the way that they want to integrate all those systems when building a new building. When you're talking about an existing building where you may be doing a BMS upgrade, obviously, if there are systems that are existing that could benefit from being integrated, uh, then you would, you know, take that approach. Uh, A lot of times when we go to a customer about, you know, an upgrade or a a facility fitness type program, uh, we'd look at, you know, what they have currently, what their needs are. And certainly in some of the industries, particularly healthcare right now, and I'm sure it's going to filter into schools and universities with the new standards that we expect to come out of the result of this pandemic COVID virus, there's going to be a lot more interest in integrating information and getting more detail and interaction between these systems. So, you know, we'll look at it and say, you know, hey, your ORs are, you know, collecting, you're manually collecting this data for your reporting process. You know, why not integrate a system that measures that for you, allows your BMS to act upon that information, good actionable information, you know, maybe about pressure or particulates or air change rates and bring that into a BMS so that you're not manually reporting that. And that can, you know, carry over into other systems. Nowadays, we live in a a completely different world than what it was when I was growing up. I mean, active shooter 
detection is something that's of considerable interest now because of what's happened in our society with people getting unhinged and going out and just, you know, attacking and, and trying to kill innocent people, as well as what we're living with right now. That brings into play a lot more reasons to have these systems in place, have them integrated into your BMS and allow that whole interaction of those different systems to provide you a safer, cleaner, just a, a better functioning facility for safety of the occupants, as well as energy management. I'm going to put you on the spot because you, you brought up a, a point that, it, like I said, it's going to probably put you on the spot, but why, why in the world would I ever want to, as a, a building owner, integrate gunfire detection to my BMS. I mean, why, to me, maybe my facilities guy doesn't know, doesn't care, can't do anything. Where does that benefit come? Well, the benefit of the gunfire detection really comes in being able to alert and then provide some kind of uh, actionable response, be it emergency wayfinding, you know, immediate notification to first responders, the BMS basically has the capabilities of integrating those systems at this time easier than those systems could work on their own. That's correct. And Clayton, just an FYI, you're probably right. The facilities guy may not know, may not care, but that's part of the point is that that doesn't impact the operation of the fire detection and notification and adaptive response slash countermeasure because it's automated at that point. So it, you're, you could be correct. Maybe the facilities guy is not the right person to be even viewing it, but typically there's a safety office or a safety officer and messages are sent via SMS. So that automation occurs to not necessarily bypass the facilities guy but to supplement slash augment the, the facilities office's function by providing additional information to the correct, the correct individuals and providing an automated response. Yeah, your typical facilities operator probably is, like you said, not concerned about that and may not even see that in his access to the interface. Right, right. No, but I mean, both great points. Obviously, like the, the BMS system network, it, it's kind of a, a, would you call it a hub for data, right? It, it takes information from a bunch of different systems and it, through the programming, then can, you know, gives the that data, that information, the direct shot to who it needs to, who needs to see it, I guess, quickly, as opposed to having any kind of manual interface on it. Yeah, and it, it comes from the fact probably that, you know, BMS has been used to integrate disparate systems on lower levels for so many years, you know, where safety systems in the past weren't, uh, I mean, they were kind of standalone systems. They weren't being integrated into, uh, as Mark pointed out, countermeasures or emergency wayfinding, those kind of things that are newer that really haven't built on a history of uh, integrating can take advantage of the deep 
experience and capabilities of BMS to integrate these disparate systems now on a, you know, a higher level than in the past where it kind of started out with BMS integrating to, you know, pieces of mechanical equipment. And then it migrated into integrating with, you know, probably precision airflow controls and then into the stuff that we're seeing today uh, into the various disparate systems in, in healthcare. So that hub capability of the BMS kind of just naturally grew out of its, you know, evolution, so to speak, and provides that capability easier now than these systems can do separately. What about, I guess I want to ask this right. Do you, do you find it challenging sometimes to, to maybe you're not the one telling the the building owner or the, you know, the building owners that they should integrate this stuff, but do you find it challenging for a lot of facilities, people to see that it is valuable? Like, well, why do I care that my system X has anything to do with system Y over the BMS? Uh, that's a, that's a, a great question, Clayton. The facilities people typically have no interest in integrating some of those systems. The people that are interested in that are the, uh, you know, in a lab or research facility, it's the environmental health and safety. You know, maybe in a hospital, it's the infection control people or the safety officer that's responsible for maintaining the safety and security of the facility that would be much more interested in integrating the gunfire detection and having, you know, emergency wayfinding tied to that or to a fire event or any other kind of emergency event where the safety of the occupants of the building can be affected by the uh, efficiency of the system and its ability to talk between these various systems. Let's just go back and look at the history of quote unquote integration. So just go back 20 years, not that long ago, the integration might've been as, as low level and it happened all the time where we want to monitor and control the chilled water set point, in which case, okay, we need to run out either a four to 20 milliamp signal, a zero to 10 volt signal, connect it hardwired to the chiller and bring back a another zero to 10 volt or four to 20 milliamp or two to five or whatever it is that tells us the chiller load. And those, that was the integration of the chiller maybe 25 years ago, but not that long ago. And in the years after that, then it became chillers had on board Johnson controls N2 or they had on board Modbus or they had on uh, carrier comfort network or one of those integrations, which were quasi-proprietary, integrating to the CCN network, pretty challenging. Johnson N2, not a standard that was uh, adopted by ANSI or ASHRAE or anyone else. And so I would, I mean, this is opinion only, think that some facilities, individuals that are closer to my age than your age, have some trepidation or concern when people start talking about integration because fundamentally in the past they were not seamless they were not smooth and they were not always reliable 
I think we've really moved so far past that that it requires a fresh look at integration as far as the advantages to facilities folks when we talk about it versus in hey in the good old days you got limited functionality you got relatively compared to now relatively unreliable communication and if I were the facilities guy back then, I would say I'd rather not do it because uh, it has the possibility slash probability of being unreliable and potentially reducing the performance of the rest of the system. That's a great example. I think it, it really makes it uh, clear a bit more for for the listeners why why there would be concern. Rich, what do you think? Is that realistic? Oh, absolutely, Mark. Experienced it time and time again throughout the years. To be honest with you, it's probably only been within the last decade that, you know, major integrations were something that facilities people started to feel comfortable with. Right. In the past, it was like, no, keep that separate. Uh, I don't, you know, it was, I think, more a fear of things breaking the process for them. And, you know, when guys had been working in buildings for 20 years, and obviously we've seen through our career where, uh, you know, a guy that's been running a building for 20 years wants to keep running it the way he has. He doesn't want to change how he's been doing things. It's people resist change. Uh, Changes, you know, they have to learn something new. There's fear involved in that. And, it's been, like I said, really a challenge over the years to get that to be an accepted practice. And it's really only been, I'd say, and you can you know, agree or disagree, Mark, but I'd say it's only been within the last decade that it's really started to become an accepted methodology and process. I agree. I mean, even we did a very large project in 2004. Okay, so that's 16 years ago. Added an enormous data historian just for the purpose of collection of data for analytics by the facilities team. So there was about 25 buildings, uh, campus setting. But even back then, to process the and program, the data historian basically involved the manual addition of all the BACnet tags through OPC to a high-level historian, and think about that, manual addition of all the points, about 30,000. There was uh, an individual from the integration firm basically sat on site for about two months adding historian tags. That's, at that time, sure, that was the, the, the best available technology, but imagine the requirement for that now. That would be an absurdity. It, it would never happen because the tools are better, the technology is better. So you, you can you can certainly understand the trepidation on the part of the facilities people. And I'm sure you've experienced this too, where you have an integration on a particular project, you commission that project, everything is working correctly there's some kind of protocol translation happening. You know, maybe it's something like, you know, putting uh, 
taking back net tags and importing them into OPC or whatever, but someone comes and, and releases a software update and that software update gets applied, you know, either manually or automatically. And all of a sudden the communication is broken and information isn't exchanging anymore. And it's like, okay, why, what happened? And somewhere in the process, something changed that either changed the, uh, the addressing schemes or, you know, even instance numbers or something like that. And the customer is like, well, it, it worked for five years and now it doesn't work. Why? You know, then you, you got to go back in and try and figure out why the update broke what you had that worked for five years before that. Well, and Rich, that brings up a great point that especially with in, uh, systems integrated at a high level, there needs to be an owner um, um, basically responsible for the overarching network configuration, the security patches, et cetera, because you find that, and, and we've seen it firsthand on multiple projects where someone adds a device to a high-level network, and if there are uh, conflicts, especially IP conflicts, it just turns into a, uh, you know, I can't even say what it turns into on a podcast. It's pretty bad. Yeah. So they're not... Uh, High-level integrations are not for everyone. You know, if you go to a, a small facility, an island unto itself, not part of a national chain, those kinds of things, it's not always appropriate to recommend integrations for just because you can doesn't mean you should. Correct. Does that responsibility of the integration and, and making these systems communicate, does that generally fall on the the we'll call it the BMS contractor per se. Like if I'm the, the BMS contractor and I want to integrate, uh, I don't know, cameras for instance, or, you know, the camera system in general, is it, is it my job to identify what communications protocols and make that work as opposed to saying, Hey, camera system, change what you're doing and make it fit into mine. That's a good, good point, Clayton, because some, what we would call BMS contractors have no technical ability or experience to do that. Then uh, oftentimes there may be a third party systems integrator involved. Okay. Some BMS contractors have that integration uh, experience capability and know how, you know, in house that they can do that. So it, it varies based on, you know, company to company on what they have in their tool bag as far as both their past experience, their technical ability, and even their willingness to, you know, stay on top of that type of, that type of business for lack of a, 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 a you know, a more flowery term. But this IT systems and integrations are constantly evolving these days evolving on an almost exponential curve. So if you don't have the technical people in-house staying on top of that curve, you're, it's going to get ahead of you and you're not going to be able to do that as you know a part of a, a single entity. You're going to have to get other people involved. And in reality, uh, you know, pretty much any project 
that is a larger type of entity or multiple site type of entity, there's going to be some IT personnel that are responsible for that customer's network that you're going to have to work closely with. And those people are going to quickly sniff out if you don't really know what you're talking about when it comes to integrating IP. And I can imagine that, you know, that occurs, it could occur quite a bit. And at that point, probably it, as a, as an owner paying to get this done, it, it makes you a little bit nervous saying, okay, do we really want to do this? Do we need to do this? Is it going to be worth it? If there is struggles and issues on that end from the start or get go, whatever, you know? Yeah. If there's not an understanding of on the owner's side of the benefit versus the risk, uh, 99% of the time they're going to go anti-risk. So Mark, I, I don't know if we, I know we're going to be talking about this later in the season, but this might be a good time or place to talk a little bit about our recent project where we integrated um, flight information into the overhead lights. Sure. At the greater Rochester international airport, we were tasked with integration of the overhead lighting through an advanced control system using LED retrofits to assist with hearing impaired and deaf individuals understanding what was transpiring in the gate. Is it idle? Is it active? Is it time to board? Is it, are we deplaning? Is there an emergency? And integrate those functions with the BMS. And at the same time, using inf- that those functions were driven by what's called the flight information display system, the FIDS, which was a proprietary system and required specialized coding, a virtual server to be able to provide all those multiple trigger functions to the BMS to be able to effect the specialized lighting modes within the gate hold rooms. At the same time, the BMS integrated that information as to whether the gates were idle or active into the demand control ventilation functions for the gates. The reason being in a typical airport during even non-COVID periods, the gate hold rooms for each, the, the gate hold rooms, which are the areas where passengers remain seated or wait for their flights to depart, are idle the majority of the time. And without applying demand, demand controlled ventilation to those gate hold rooms, the areas are continuously overventilated. So once that was identified as an opportunity, the data was taken and integrated to the BMS so that when the FIDs determined the gate hold rooms were idle for everything except 45 minutes before a flight, the building automation system, the energy management system could reduce the ventilation areas in the gates, effectively reducing the total airflow from the air handling systems, reducing the chiller load, et cetera. The ventilation load on the building wouldn't go down. And I thought that was really interesting because the the main the, the inception of this, we wanted to use the FIDs to control the lights, but by using the BMS as the integration uh, platform, 
that information was already there. So further down the road, when we said, well, we can actually use this to do other things, it was pretty much readily available, the information we needed. So I think that's just a great example of how how utilizing the BMS for these high-level integrations can benefit, obviously, at the start for your primary objective, but you may find ways to use information that you didn't ever expect to down the road that then is already there and available. That's correct. And the sky's the limit. Every building is different. There are certainly commonalities, but it's, I think the, it's incumbent upon a good consultant and or a, a good automation supplier to ask the open-ended questions to the owner as to if you could, if you could what would be the benefit of bringing in data from system A, B, or C? Are there correlations between other systems and the performance of the BMS that you would like to see in a statistical analysis on a regular basis? Is there a need for a dashboard, uh, the single pane of glass, which Rich, which Rich referred to, to be able to bring separate systems together to provide an opportunity to view the interactions or view the correlations so that you can make changes and or provide documentation. I mean, there are facilities where we're in clean room manufacturing where it's required that they provide documentation on a regular basis of multiple values that are not necessarily all being recorded by the BMS directly, but only through integrations. There are plants that we work at that provide plastic for medical packaging that the temperature, the relative humidity, the airflow, the filter condition are all required to be documented so that on inspection, they can produce statistical evidence of conformance to of the environmental parameters to the requirements. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. I don't know, Rich, you have anything else you want to add? Uh, Even just in general to our conversation, I think we're getting to a pretty good point where we can start to wrap it up. I mean, one of the things, obviously, that, you know, integration of disparate systems into a single platform makes it much easier to apply, uh, as Mark was alluding to, you know, uh, in, in the term of big data analytics gathering all of that information, you know, running industry standard or custom analytics on the information to make determinations about better ways to operate, better ways to maintain, better ways to present those dashboards that Mark was speaking of uh, that, you know, may be important to some folks. Those dashboards can vary, you know, from customer type to customer type based uh, on, you know, a clean room, maybe that dashboard is providing a different kind of information than a dashboard would for a commercial office building or a dashboard for um, infection control in a hospital that allows that capability of customizing that and presenting that overall analytical and, and you know, uh, congruent information, essentially. One of the areas where you find integrations have a high level of value slash 
uh, functionality is in the performance measurement of ESPC slash energy-based projects, which are, are supposed to self-finance. So when we integrate things like schedules and dashboards and energy, multiple energy meters, we, we did a project over in Ohio has 51 different energy meters on it that are all integrated into the dashboard to provide year over year, period over period performance in accordance with the IP MVP. And those kinds of integrations provide a lot of functionality, a lot of data analytics without the cost. Think back to the chiller analogy I drew up of hardwiring to the meters, of all the, the headaches that went along with uh, trying to get information from the utility company, manually enter it into an Excel spreadsheet. Now, basically using high-level integration and a strong energy dashboard, you can practically predict to within a percent or two as to actually what the utility bill will be using the data from the meters. That is... Absolutely correct. And actually, I think a great way to then wrap it up here because our next discussion will be about BMS and energy conservation. So obviously, those that, that integration to uh, measure and predict comes into play with also using the BMS to do smart control strategies to reduce energy consumption. And I think we'll be talking about that in the next episode. So thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate uh, Mark and Rich for tuning in and our listeners for tuning in and hearing about our discussion with BMS systems and high level integrations. As I said, our next episode will be discussing BMS and energy conservation. Have a great day guys.